Good morning. Happy Sunday. Morning. If, if we haven't met, my name is Stacy, and I think as Ryan just said, we are going to be jumping into the second week of our legacy series. But first, I wanted to share something that I've recently uh, been taught by some of our teenagers. Who in here knows what Instagram and TikTok are? No one Instagram, TikTok, for the most part, we're familiar, at least generically, I see with what those are. So I spent a lot of time over in our middle school and high school ministries, and I wanted to share one of the most bizarre things that they recently introduced me to and educated me about. So a few months ago now, a guy on TikTok who goes by the name of Gaius Flavius, he is an actor who reenacts Roman soldiers. And he got on TikTok and he just asked the question, he said, ladies, do you know how often the men in your life think about the Roman Empire? And like, that's a weird, that is a weird thing to throw out there. Except that what we as a society have been discovering is that the men in our lives think about the Roman Empire all of the time, or at least substantially more than we knew. Many, many men said they think about the Roman Empire on a monthly basis, weekly, daily, and many of them say multiple times a day. And in their social media videos, they're saying like, why wouldn't I? aqueducts, gladiators. Like, why would I not think of this Roman empire? It has become such a social media influence that the students were showing me it has its own hashtag of Roman empire. And if you look it up, there are over 1 billion, with a B, billion views at things that have to do with the Roman empire in the last few months. Like it's brought on new interest into this, which is so bizarre. Because you know what? No matter how cool or interesting the Roman Empire might have been, do you know what doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> you know what hasn't existed for 2,000 years? The Roman Empire. It's so bizarre. I know, ask your teenagers if you're like, I don't understand this. Look it up, it's crazy. There's so many stories out there, people asking and then like recording the response of that person. But. You know what movement did start about 2,000 years ago and does still exist? Does still have people who join it and whose lives are changed by that very same movement? It is the Christian church. It is an early movement of Jesus followers that 2,000 years ago started this new movement. And there have been highs in that history and there have been some lows in that history. But today, across the globe, billions of people with a B continue to join in that same church, that same early church, that same Jesus movement. But you know, one of the things that I keep recognizing about that is that when those early followers first got together, they did not have a guarantee that the movement they were joining and participating in was going to exist the next day. They had to trust and they had to sacrifice. Some of them had to give up their own lives in order to ensure that this early church and this Jesus movement was not just survived, but it actually thrived so that they were able to hand that legacy to the next generation and hopefully to the generation after that, that 2000 years later, people would still be impacted and joining that very same movement. And you know what, today when we join here, that is the same legacy that we're stepping into, except we also have a responsibility. As people who say, okay, I wanna join this movement and I wanna follow Jesus, we're saying that we have a responsibility now to ask, what legacy am I going to be leaving for the next generation? How will my participation, what legacy will I leave to the next generation and the, the generation after that also? And so we wanted to do a series that we're calling Legacy. 
that gives us an opportunity to look at that early church and to ask, how did that movement get started? What did they do that they were able to survive and prolong for thousands of years? And now what is our responsibility to pick up that legacy so that we can thoughtfully leave something for future generations. So that's why we're doing this series. And last week, Ryan started us in week one. And Ryan started us by talking about an incredible event, moment called Pentecost. And what he said is that one of the very first and one of the very most important things that the early church had to do in order to endure is they had to create a legacy of unlearning so that now they could learn what they needed most. And if you haven't had a chance, go back and watch last week's because today we are actually gonna take off from where Ryan left. When Pentecost has happened, what the, this early church movement suddenly finds is 3,000 new members right after Pentecost. And so today we are gonna pick up at the, an, the end of Acts chapter two, and we're gonna read some of the last verses in Acts chapter two in just a few minutes. Because now that this new movement has 3,000 new members, they're having to ask the question, the challenge, the opportunity of, what does community look like now? We have all these new members in this new movement. How do we come together with purpose in order to ensure that we're going to leave a legacy? And that's what we're gonna talk about. But first, I wanted to take an opportunity to kind of brag about one of my uh, all-time favorite high school small groups, just one that was really impactful for me. Some of you guys might know, over in high school ministry, we do something that we call small groups every Wednesday during the school year. And, and small groups is an opportunity. We meet Wednesdays, we meet midweek, and the high schoolers show up and we have a really good time together. But then they actually break up into smaller groups with a consistent leader so that they can just have conversations. Sometimes they might talk about God and faith and church. Sometimes they just talk about what it means to be a teenager and sports and dating and questions that they have. And we have just found in high school, very specifically, small groups are an incredibly impactful time that having these conversations with these leaders really makes a difference and really matters to our high school students. And so last August, I was hanging out with some of our will-be senior small group leaders and we were getting ready to launch into the new year. And when it comes to our seniors in high school, every time you launch your small groups in August, you have a little bit of uncertainty because it's just a difficult age. They are at a spot now where they're playing varsity sports, which often go later or have different types of practices, stepping into musicals and dramas with bigger roles. They have jobs, they can drive themselves now. And so there's just a piece for seniors where you're kind of going in August like, are they gonna show up and who are they gonna be now? And so I was hanging out with our senior small groups as we're getting ready to launch and we must have had the largest senior small group show up for our launch in August that I think I have ever seen of seniors in high school. And that was really remarkable. It was like 15 to 20 just seniors. But what was really, really crazy to me is that I knew nearly none of them that first night. And that's really different because by year four, you're pretty familiar with most of your students. And so when they showed up and I didn't know any of them, I was actually a little confused of where these kids came from. And so what I found out is that three or four of our students who are really consistent, they said, you know what, this is our senior year and I want to be all in. I want to do everything and be as involved as possible because it's my last year of high school. And so they actually went to their friends and they went to their teammates and they invited them and said, hey, I do this small group thing. You should just come check it out. And to their surprise too, most of their friends actually just showed up. And we're talking about 17 and 18 year olds who had never been to church before, or maybe 
they just hadn't been since they were four years old. And they are coming from families that don't, don't go to church, or some of them I found out later are, going, are coming from families that are not okay with the fact that they are going to church. And still they said, I'm just gonna show up and I'm just gonna see what it's all about because I trust those friends over there and I'll see what this is. But you know what was really crazy is, yeah, they showed up that first Wednesday, but honestly, we've got a food truck and we do a big thing, so you're kind of like, yeah, they're here. But after this, what was weird is they all got together and they actually showed up the week after that too. And then they showed up the Wednesday after that. And then even these new kids started inviting some of their friends. And so this senior group through the entire school year continued to grow. And so what I recognized after talking to them and sitting in their small groups is I recognized they had started doing community exactly like this early church in Acts did. They said, you know what? For many of us, we are, these are the only people in our lives that we can have faith types of conversations with. And at 17 and 18, we're trying to figure out what it means to have this relationship with Jesus, to figure out what our place in this church and this movement might actually be. And so they intentionally came to small groups and said, I'm gonna create a community where we can wrestle through that together. And so they started bringing snacks for each other. They started meeting for coffee and dinner before small group. They started on um, these group texts. So they would text each other, even if it was just encouragement, but also saying like, hey, I'm praying for you. I know you've got this test. I know your family's got this thing. I know that I just want you to know someone's here and someone's for you. They started doing a thing where the people that they met on Wednesdays, if they started seeing them through the week, they would take pictures with them and post them to like their small group Instagram, just being able to say like, yeah, this matters on Wednesday, but I'm starting to see that this matters through my week too. And then when I would sit in their small groups, what I realized is they were starting to have these conversations of saying, okay, so I, this faith journey, this Jesus matters, but I'm still trying to figure out what it means. And so when they came together, they said, I'm gonna encourage you by showing you the God that I see in your story. They would share these stories of saying, when you did this, you were showing God's love to that person. And these 17 and 18 year olds are saying, do you see what God is doing through you? Do you see the impact that you're making? They came together and said, I wanna have a community where I can ask questions and I can voice doubts and still know that I'm okay to the point that I am welcome to come back next week, even if I might disagree with my small group leader. And they're just saying, this is a spiritual journey that we're starting to take seriously. I wanna create a community where we can encourage each other as we step through this and as we just figure out what this means in my life, which is remarkable for anyone to do, but especially these seniors. And what I see more and more is that these students got together and said, I want to do a community like what that early church did. And I wonder, do any of you in here have a community that you would say is like that. Maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your family, but you say, yeah, Stace, when we get together, we swap silly stories, we have fun, we play board games, but we also recognize this is a space for us to ask some of the difficult questions in life. This is a space where I can find encouragement and I can step out and encourage that I see God in their story too, that I can share some tough life moments with someone and know that even if we disagree, even if we are asking questions, even if we end up seeing things differently from each other, I can still reach out to that person and still know that I have a space with them. Some of you in here are saying, I have a community that I can walk this spiritual life and this spiritual journey out with someone. But I wonder if there's any of you in here who are like, I don't have that, but I would love to have that. You know, sometimes in here, we talk about stuff that's actually really difficult. And, and some of us want a community we can go back to and say, okay, 
So I'm trying to unlearn something from before so that I can learn what I need most about Jesus, but I'm not 100% sure how to do that. Or we want a community that says, okay, so we talk about this love of Jesus, but I always feel all this pressure to draw lines and declare who's in, who's out, who's okay, and who's not. And I want a community where I can walk out the complexity of what it means to try and follow Jesus in my each and every day. Some of you guys are saying, I wanna have that. But even if it's not just about your immediate community, I ask you, when it comes to the legacy of community, what legacy do you want Cassis to have here in Tucson? When we talk about a legacy of community, what do you want Cassis to give to the next generation, to leave behind as we, as we keep rolling and we keep figuring out what it looks like to love Jesus in our each and every day? And that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna go back to Acts 2, and I wanna actually take a look at this community that the early church formed. And I wanna say, this is what it looked like for them, and how can we do that in our lives today, in our communities today? So to do that, I'm gonna go back to Acts chapter two, and we're gonna jump into verse 26. And it says that when that community would get together, when those early Jesus followers, the 3,000 after Pentecost got together, Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They would break bread in their homes and then they would eat together with glad and sincere hearts. And I wanna pause just after verse 26 because that is one of the first things that this Christian community shows us they did to continue a community and to continue a movement that can last for thousands of years. The early church created a kind of community where people came together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, when Acts says sincere hearts, that might look a little different than we first think. It does mean honesty, but what it really does, the sincere hearts, is it paints a picture. I want you to imagine when you read that, imagine a road laid out in front of you, but I want you to imagine that road being completely even and smooth and level because that's the picture that you get with a sincere heart, is a smooth, even heart that is not easily disturbed. To contrast that, um, uh, last year, my husband and I had an opportunity to meet some of our friends to go quadding or ride some ATVs. And we actually met on some trails that are like right here off Tangerine. And at first, you guys, it was so much fun because one, I got to drive the quad at first. And like, it was really fun. I was having a great time. And at some point, Andy, my husband, he got to drive the quad. And so I sat on the back and I'm holding on. And at first it was great and it was fun and it was adventurous because it was sandy and it was smooth. And I was like, I can do this that's not bad and then you get like back on those trails and suddenly they start having rocks and then it gets rockier and some of you have been out there and you know that there's these hills suddenly who go sharp up and a sharp down or suddenly there's these hard turns and you know what I realized holding on to the back of Andy on the back of the quad I had absolutely no control over how fast he was gonna go. And he didn't care if what my <laughs> screaming said he should be doing. I had no control over how hard he took each and every turn. In fact, what started happening is what, turned, what started as like a really fun adventure. Some of you guys have been on the back of the quad and you know eventually you hit a rock and it's like your body leaves the quad for a moment and you're just going, ooh, I hope this lands well. When that happened and my body was briefly in the air and the only thing I had was Andy, 
I could feel my heart suddenly say, this isn't fun, this is terrifying. Like my heart was no longer okay and no longer having a good time. And the first time he took a turn so hard, I could feel myself sliding off the side of that quad. My head was no longer saying, yeah, let's do this again next weekend. My head was so full of uncertainty. I'm looking at it going, that ground is gonna hurt so bad when I hit it. And I remember yelling through the helmet to Andy saying, I hate this and I'm never doing this again. Like it went from being a really fun, smooth road until all of a sudden those rocks and those bumps, all I could feel was fear and uncertainty. It turned into anger. Like it was not the best marriage moment for us getting off of that quad. It just wasn't. You know, the truth is that's the picture of what this early Christian church is experiencing when they say sincere hearts. They are saying we can show up as a community that have hearts that are easily disturbed, that get flung around and tossed about in in life circumstances. Because the truth is life circumstances are going to happen. We are going to have rocks and hills and valleys and sharp turns and surprises and things that we could not have been prepared for. It's gonna show up in our lives. It's gonna show up in our stories. And the early Christian church said, we can have hearts that are easily flung around. Then when we step into a moment that makes us angry, we can lash out. When we step into a moment that makes us scared, we can choose to back up and throw up our walls and not engage. We can have hearts that when we experience jealousy, we hold onto it until we're suddenly not satisfied with anything that's showing up in our lives. We can have insecurity that we let control us until we need to blame everybody for everything all of the time. Or as the early church said, we can show up with hearts that are smooth and are not easily disturbed by life's circumstances. We can show up with these glad and sincere hearts. And what they found is that when a smooth heart encounters something that makes them mad, they don't have to lash out. They don't have to insist on being right. They can actually choose to have control. A smooth heart can actually choose to say, I'm going to show respect even in the face of perceived disrespect. That a smooth heart, when it encounters fear, rather than shrinking away, can say, I know who I belong to and I know who actually writes this story. I know God and I can face this fear and still choose to lean in with love. A smooth heart is able to step into a difficult conversation and say, I'm gonna choose to make space for both of us. I am going to choose to ask questions. I am going to choose to see the person across me, whether we look different or we think different, you are still a child of God and I'm still gonna create space in my life for you rather than participate in more division and in more anger. A smooth heart says, regardless of what life circumstances are, I am anchored in the truth of who God is. I'm anchored in the truth of who Jesus said that I am. And I will not be flung around by all of life's different circumstances. You know, sometimes reading that in Acts, we might be tempted to say, yeah, but Stace, that's the early church. They don't know what it's like to have life throw some crazy things at them. They don't know what it's like to have a phone and every time you pull it out, it's got a new headline trying to throw your heart into disarray. What it is to have social media that is constantly bombarding us with pictures or with comments and different things that fill us full of anger or insecurity. They don't know what it's like to have my family as I walk into the holidays, Stace. They don't know what it's like to have all these different generations and the tension and the conflict of how differently we see the life, our lives, and roughly everything around us stays. It's easy for them to have a stable heart they don't know. 
And I think sometimes we forget what the early church was facing when they started this new movement. You know, when we read about Pentecost and these 3,000 first followers, I don't think we always recognize the sacrifice of what they were facing when they chose to step into this new movement. Some of them had to leave behind their entire culture, their entire background, maybe even their entire family and their friends to say, I wanna go be a part of what this new Jesus movement is really gonna be about. And you know what? When they join them, they're not joining a group that has a lot of favor with that Roman empire. When Rome realizes that they aren't just a random branch of Judaism, but that they're actually something completely different, they come down on this Christian movement hard. It becomes illegal to be a Christian or to even be accused of being a Christian to the point that when bad things would happen, say like a city fire, something completely outside of a person's control, the people in that community would start blaming the Christians because they're saying it's because you don't worship the Roman gods. That's why this is happening to us. It's your fault and they would persecute them. We've talked in here before, Caesar would get together and he would have garden parties where he would torture and kill and burn Christians. He would throw them into the Colosseum and into the games just to watch them be tortured just because they were Christians. They faced difficulty. They faced oppression to try and be this early church movement. And even in addition to that, they are just existing in a really hard time of human history. And when they show up as this new community, they are asking, how do we show up in some of the darkest times of human history and say, we are still going to choose joy. We are still going to choose to have a stable heart anchored in the thing that matters most, which is God's love. You know, there is a, a recorded event about 200 years after Pentecost, where uh, this early church and, and news of an information and belief about Jesus had spread through more of the world, even down into Egypt, even down into Alexandria, Egypt. And then this plague hits Alexandria and it lasts for over 10 years, this plague, this pestilence. And it starts to lead to famine, which starts to lead to a ton of violence. And it is recorded that at different points in those 10 years, 5,000 people were dying every single day. That by the time this disease had worked its way through the city, there wasn't a single family left that had not experienced a death in very recent time. Can you imagine can you imagine that loss and that darkness? It said that people were so terrified of the disease that they are leaving their loved ones in the street to fend for themselves or to die because they're trying to hide in the caves, trying to get away from this disease. Can you imagine just how dark this time was? And this is what the early church faced. And facing that, they still said, we are going to come together as a community who knows that our lives belong to someone bigger than this disease and bigger than Rome. And we are going to show up with glad and with sincere hearts. The Bishop of Alexandria actually records this, that in the midst, in the heart, in the heat of this disease, most of our Christians, our Christian neighbors, showed unbounded love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. They were heedless of the danger and took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them as Christ. He said to the point that many, while nursing and caring for another, would transfer their death and their disease to themselves and ultimately die in their stead. 
That's what it looks like to be a community who says no matter what we face, we believe in a God who is bigger than this and we can show up and still find joy and beauty in the world around us. We can still show up and say, our hearts are anchored in something more meaningful than what we see right in front of us, than these life circumstances. And we will show up and we will show love to others. You know, today, sometimes we can look around and this world can look really, really dark. It can look really evil and it can look really oppressive. And we can watch people, innocent people, be killed and tortured and kidnapped. And we can watch innocent people get sick and lose hope and feel abandoned or die too young. Some of us in our own lives, we know what it means to be alone and lonely, to feel so angry or to feel confused to be looking at a challenge in front of us saying, I don't know if I have what it takes to get through this, or we could be walking through our own kind of heartbreak. But what we have is a legacy from this early church that says regardless of life circumstances, you get to belong to a God who is bigger than any of that, than Rome or disease or anything in each and every one of our stories that we might face. And we can say, because of that, I will have joy. Because of that, my heart will remain stable and steady in that God. You know, on the back of that quad, I had absolutely no control. I don't get to control what that trail looks like. I obviously didn't get to control Andy's speed. But what I do get to have is I get to hold on to Andy knowing that guy's for me. Andy wants good things for me. The early church, did not get to change any of their circumstances. But what they can say is God is bigger than this and that will hold and anchor my heart to be stable no matter what. Each and every one of us, when we get together, it is not to pretend that this world is not difficult and dangerous. The early church was perfectly and realistically aware of every danger that they faced every single moment of every single day. It wasn't pretending everything was fine. It was saying that regardless of that difficulty, we get together as a community and we get to point each other and say, hold, God is still good. Hold, there is still joy and there is still beauty here. Hold, my heart will not be flung around by all the different things in these life circumstances because I'm anchored in something that keeps me stable and keeps the road ahead of me smooth. And we can step into that legacy that the church left us and leave that legacy for our next generation. Because I think that when we do, the second part of Acts can be just as true for us. The second thing we can see from this Acts community, if we go back and read Acts 2, and I'm gonna get, start again in, in verse 26. It says, every day they continued, this movement continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with those glad and sincere hearts, praising God, remembering who they belong to, remembering who it's all about, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think the second thing that we can see from this early church is that the early church created a community where people found favor with them and actually wanted to be with them and be a part of what they were doing because the Lord added to their numbers daily. And you know what? 
The rest of Acts talks about this early church movement and how it spread around the world and how it got started. And so for the next several chapters, we read about the leadership of this early movement and we read about them being arrested and persecuted, but we also read about the impact that they're having to this Jerusalem area. And so a little bit later in Acts 5, this is what we read is going on. Uh, verse 14. Nevertheless, regardless of all the things and the difficulties that they're facing, nevertheless, more and more men and women were believing in the Lord and being added to their number. As a result, people began to bring the sick into the streets, laying them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as, they, as he passed by. We don't always get how crazy that is, but back then you didn't bring your sick people out. You hid them. They were a threat for some of the reasons we shared before. You hid them, you put them away. Marginalized people did not go out into the street just to hope that someone from this new movement might pass by. And what we actually read is not just in Jerusalem, but some of the villages nearby began to travel into the city, sick, marginalized, outcast people saying, I just wanna be close to what they have. This movement, this Jesus, this love, this hope is changing things. I just wanna be close and see if it can heal me, see if it can restore me, see what that is all about. And it says that their numbers were added to daily. You guys, their numbers were added to so often that it did not make any plausible sense to the people who were watching. The people who were outside of the early church community are watching this movement grow in popularity and people connect. And it made so little sense that they started these rumors that turned into full-blown conspiracy theories about why people were connecting to this early church. One of them is so bizarre, but it gained so much popularity that historians actually wrote it down to tell us people thought this is what was happening. So. People uh, in the early church movement, when Christians would go through the city and they found abandoned infants, they would take them. They were trying to save them and take care of these abandoned infants. And people in the community knew that. So they created this conspiracy theory. This is what made sense to them to explain why everything was growing so fast. That when these Christians got together every day to break bread and to share a meal, what they must be doing is they must be putting the infant in the bread so that when the new people joined them, they had the new people who didn't know about the baby cut the bread and serve the bread to the people who were there, thereby incriminating themselves in this heinous crime of things happening to the infant. And now because they're implicated, they can't leave the movement. Now, because of the infant bread, that's why all their numbers are growing so fast. You guys, that is bizarre. That is absolutely bizarre. But that means that this early church community is growing so much and making such an impact already that the community is watching it and they can't come up with a better plausible reason that they start this incredible conspiracy theory about infants in the bread. It's nuts, but it tells you the impact that's going on. And I think that what's really happening has nothing to do with what's in the bread, 
but it has to do with how this community viewed themselves. When they said that they found favor with the people, I think it's because this community said, we are going to step into the legacy that Jesus left and how he loved people and he showed up for people and he served people because we are now the body of Christ. We are now the experience and the expression of Jesus to this community today and they took it seriously. You know, there is a book in the Bible called Isaiah. And it's actually a part of the Bible called the Old Testament. And I get it, it might be weird. We're talking about the early church and Jesus. Why would we go back so far? Well, the book of Isaiah actually has a ton of what we call messianic prophecies or a ton of writings that say when the Messiah shows up, when Jesus shows up, things are going to look completely different. This Messiah is going to usher in this completely different era. Jesus Christ is going to show up with this completely different reality, way of being, uh, way of having a relationship with God and, and way of just being in life. And there's a chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 32, that actually tells us that when the Messiah shows up, this is what his community will look like. This is what his followers are going to do when this Messiah shows up. Isaiah 32, uh, verse one, you see, a king will reign in righteousness and the rulers will rule with justice. Just a quick pause. What people understood is that king is Jesus. That king is the Messiah. He is going to show up and he is going to initiate a radically different kingdom and era and time. But what the early church saw is those rulers are us. They are known as being the king's representatives. And they said this early church community said, we are his representatives in this world. We are walking out the hope of that king in this time to these people. What did it look like to do that? Isaiah said, each one of those followers, each person in that community will be like a shelter from the wind. It will be a refuge from the storm and they will be like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. That was the legacy the early church saw themselves stepping into. We are called to be a community experienced as being a refuge to people, a place of protection. We are to be a place that is shelter and a place that is like water and shade in the middle of the desert that restores life and gives people a break and peace among, amongst the chaos. They said, this is Jesus's legacy. This is how we're going to go meet people. This will be our legacy. And today we have that same legacy from Isaiah. As a community of believers, I ask, and it's not that I'm asking, it's Isaiah says, when we recognize Jesus, we aren't gonna be able to help ourselves, but say, I'm going to go into people's desert. I'm going to go to people who are in the desert and I'm going to meet them there. And when I do that, with a joy and with a sincere heart who knows who I belong to, I will be an experience of shelter from the wind. Can you imagine being a movement so impactful, people find favor with you because you're like a shelter in the wind that when I face the uncertainty and, and the disorientation of this world, when I hang out with that community, they're like a shelter from all of that. They're like this refuge from the storm that when I feel like the rest of my life is caving down on me and my plans are getting washed away and I can't but be helped filled with fear when I hang out with that community, they are like a refuge from that, that when I spend time with them, it's like finding a stream or shade when I'm walking through the desert. Did you notice Isaiah doesn't have a prerequisite on who gets offered this break and this restor restoration? 
He says, when you show up in people's deserts, when you show up in their lives with the love of God, it is like receiving a cup of water. It is recognizing the connection that people need in the midst of this world that feels so isolated and so lonely and so pulled apart to show up and be a community that says we will be about something different. You know, um, some of those seniors, I got to know a few of them really well when they joined because they stayed with us for the year. And many of them just, they had their lives changed, but they impacted mine too. And one kid in particular, I got to know him really well. I got to know his story, super great guy. And he's one that when he showed up, he told me, he's like, you know, my family is not okay with the fact that I go to church. In fact, he said specifically his siblings were really concerned about it. His siblings had had experiences in their own lives with Christians or with the church where they said, like, I hate that movement and I'm worried you're going to hate me. Their experiences said, if you join this church, you are going to cut me out. You are going to make me feel like I am not enough. It is going to end our relationship. So they were really angry with him for finding Cassis and coming to small groups. And so one night in small groups, kind of in a moment of vulnerability, he shares this and he shares, he says, you know, I've started this relationship with Jesus. And I've joined in this movement and in this church and I love being here and I love what it's doing to my life, but I don't know if I have to choose between this and my siblings. I don't know what to do for them. I don't know how to restore this relationship right now. And I remember his small group leader said, he's like, hold on, hold on. Basically, you have a chance to step into the desert that your siblings are experiencing you have experienced such love and joy and compassion and grace here at small groups, here with God. Go be that experience and that expression in the lives of your siblings. And he's like, you sure that's it? And I was like, go try it, go see what happens, man. And so we actually got to talk this week for some different reasons, but I got to ask him, I'm like, dude, how's your, how's your family? How are your siblings? How are things going? And he's so honest. He goes, you know, Stace, they've moved to neutral. They're not angry. We're still talking. They've at least moved to me being neutral about me going to church and believing in Jesus. And so I said, I'm like, well, what's going on? How you doing? What's go- what are the differences? And he goes, you know, I just keep anchoring myself in the clarity of God's love. I keep anchoring myself and saying, okay, God loves me, but God loves them too. Okay, God has shown me compassion and grace in all these ways. I get to go be that experience for them. And he actually shared one of his siblings said, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to be interested in God, but if I am, I wanna be interested in your God. I wanna get to know this God that you met over a year ago because he seems really different than what I expected this to become. You know, he is stepping into the desert of his siblings and he's saying, because of God's love, because of the joy I can have, because of a stable heart I can have, I'm gonna step into my siblings' desert and just show them God's love. I'm gonna be that refuge and I'm gonna be that shelter. And so I wanna ask you, as we kind of start to wrap up today in this second week of legacy, who in your life could use a little bit of shelter right now? Who in your life, who in your community is just looking for a place that offers shade and offers water from some of the stuff that's going on in their lives or some of the stuff that is happening in this world? And what is one step that you can take to meet them in that desert? Because when you take that step, you are stepping into the legacy that the early church left for us. And you are choosing to say, I want to leave that same legacy of community to the next generation and hopefully to the generation after that also. 
It was great to be with you guys this morning. If you would please join me in praying. If we haven't met, I'm gonna be over here in the welcome party. And I think as Ryan pointed out, if you have got questions or ideas about Fall Fest, Becky and a few others are gonna be over here to answer some of those questions. But if you join me in praying, God, God, thank you so much for the way that you love us, for how bold you love us, how strongly you love us. Thank you for giving us opportunities to step into this legacy and step into this community and be reminded how great you are, Father. And I just pray for moments this week, you would open our eyes and you would open our hearts to some of the people you've put in front of us and help us to be brave enough to be shelter. Help us to be brave enough to step into their deserts, show up where they are and give them a little bit of your love, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, happy Sunday, guys.